Hello, and welcome to the Transfix Take On, where we bring in a variety of leaders to come on and give us their take on a specific subject. Today, we're taking on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, otherwise known as DEIJ. And joining me in our roundtable discussion is Roberto Concepcion, Global Head of Inclusion and Diversity and Employment Council at WeWork, and Transfix's very own Lisa Rossi, Director of Talent Acquisition. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. All right, so we've got a lot to cover today, so let's just jump right in. Now, DEIJ has been really top of mind for many companies across the globe, I would say in the last probably 10 years, um, especially within the last five. So Roberto, I'd love to turn to you first. You know, I know you came into this role in 2022, but what really drew you to being the global head of inclusion and diversity at WeWork and, and what has the experience been like for you thus far? Before anything, let me just start off by saying a huge thank you to Transfix for having me. Really looking forward to the discussion with you, Jenny, and, and with Lisa. Um, and as for me, I mean, I would just share that my background is as an employment attorney. So I joined WeWork almost four years ago now as part of their in-house employment team in the U.S. In the spring of 2020, um, WeWork formalized its Office of Inclusion, and I supported our then Chief Inclusion Officer by advising her on the legal considerations of her inclusion and diversity strategy. Over time, my role transitioned organically from a legal advisor to, to a thought partner. And when she left to pursue another role, I was offered this incredible opportunity to dual hat, retaining you know, part of my employment legal portfolio while also leading the, the Office of Inclusion. Uh, it's only been six months since I've taken on this new role, um, but it has been a really exciting journey thus far. You know, personally, as a Latino gay professional and, and now as a parent, I find it super critical for me to be able to work in an environment where I'm allowed to be my authentic self. And I consider it a privilege to be able to make sure my other WeWork colleagues feel the same. That's so important to come into work as your true authentic self. And honestly, that's why I'm still here at Transfix, because I get to be me and I get to work with people like Lisa, who is also authentically herself every day. And speaking of which, right, you have such a fiery passion when it comes to all things DEIJ. And I just want to know, where did that passion really spark from on the, on the subject and, and how did it lead you to Transfix? Yeah, thank you. And same, like this is very exciting to be here and I'm very excited to uh, speak with you, Roberto and Jenny, always enjoy chatting with you. Um, so I think the common thread here and first like growing up, feeling a sense of anyone who's felt a sense of otherness for any particular reason. You know, I was raised Jewish in a very Christian community, felt that like an outsider. I lost a parent to cancer when I was a kid. So was that kid whose dad died? And that made me feel this sense of otherness, which leads to empathy. And I think the other kind of intersection is um, excellence. I've always really had a high bar for myself. I've always had a high bar put on myself and I've always really valued maximizing potential and excellence. And so getting to work within the DEIJ space, um, it, it, to me, you can't have excellence without that authenticity of self, right? We do our best work when we're authentic self. We do our best work when we're feeling included and we're around people that make us feel safe to be that authentic self. And so that intersectionality of um, inclusion, diversity, and being that, and also excellence is exactly what DEIJ within a business context is. And that's very fun and fulfilling for me to be a part of. 
I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, you know, DEI is really at this point becoming the core of many conversations that we're having, not just in our industry, which is the supply chain space, but it's also, um, you know, whether it's ensuring equitable opportunities for diverse suppliers with shippers or partnering with organizations that kind of span across the spectrum of DEIJ and trucking, everyone's talking about it and we're seeing a lot of positive momentum in the space. So I kind of want to throw some numbers at you, get some reactions and see if you feel like this is positive momentum. Um, so women have made up about 39% of supply chain employees from distribution center workers to the C-suite, right? As of May in 2022, according to Gartner. And then what I found incredibly interesting was that people of color held 32% of all supply chain positions as of May, up from 30% the prior year, which interestingly enough was the first year that that data became available by Gartner. So it just goes to show that these numbers, these stats, and this conversation around DEIJ is becoming more and more critical to the lifeline of a business. So give me some gut reactions on, on those numbers and where you kind of feel, you know, are we are we making positive trajectory here? Look, I would start by saying that, you know, when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, like these are all more than just like buzzwords. They advancing this work is more than just the right thing to do. You know, as we all know, study after study has has, has proven the benefits of an inclusive and diverse workforce. You know, according to a Forbes report, companies that embrace diversity are 1.7 times more innovative. Um, diverse teams are better at making decisions 87% of the time over non-diverse teams. Um, and diverse teams that also lead to increased profitability with a 70% likelihood of capturing new markets. Similarly, there's a McKenzie report that found that in the case of both gender and racial diversity, the greater the representation, the higher the likelihood of outperformance. And the list of benefits just continues from there. Um, I will say that, you know, leadership must absolutely be committed to advancing this work for the work to progress in a sustainable way. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that we all play a role in our workplace and how we show up for our colleagues. So this year in 2022, it was our year of allyship at WeWork. We rolled out a global allyship at work training, which thousands of employees have completed. And importantly, you know, they responded feeling more committed to practicing allyship at work. Um, and I share that because research has shown that when employees at all levels are invested in change, these behaviors have a higher likelihood of becoming shared values and, and part and integral of the company culture. You know, in short, we should all be the change that we want to see, even and especially at work. Yeah, and I think the all of that and more, and I think what's really telling about Roberto's response here is he's referencing data points yet again. And I think the numbers you're saying, the sharing that, you know, Gartner only started being, being able to share this data recently. That's where we're going to, that's where that, when I talk about the intersectionality, the excellence part, the performance part, we're not just, I'm, I'm kind of echoing what Roberto said. We're not just here to say buzzwords and you hear the same words over and over. And it starts to like, you know, when you hear a word so many times, it starts to kind of like not sound like anything, right. but, there, there's a business performance that you can tie to this. And so if, um, when I read this, I think, oh my gosh, who can I share this with? Because any leader in HR, 
in diversity. And I think HR's role has changed, has changed and evolved and is continuing to do so because we, we don't need to be keep the lights on HR anymore. We can be those people that drive these strategies forward, pointing to the data and pointing to this is not just for funsies. This is to actually drive your business forward. And this is how we're going to increase our numbers year over year by not being a homogenous echo chamber that are all just saying yes to each other. There's benefits to that. So hearing these numbers is exciting that they, frankly, that they exist. It gives us a benchmark and something to aim for. Um, and so that's my initial reaction to it. Well, let's go into the benefits, right? Because both of you have really mentioned this. And I think there's something to that, that, you know, executives don't tend to really see right up front. And I think it, it takes people like you to go and bring that information to those executives and decision makers. So tell me about some of the, um, the benefits to really investing in diversity and equitable opportunities, which is very important. And I don't think it's spoken about enough. Talk to me about those benefits. Well, one thing I can share that's a little outside the box when I think about equity, um, we talk, we do training for all of our new hires around candidate experience and unconscious bias. Um, it's a requirement for anyone joining the company. Um, and one of the things we talk about, of course, we talk about equity. Equity is giving people the tools they need to succeed. And a simple example is someone coming into our space, the freight tech space is not something that everybody knows about, right? And so we might be hiring someone who's not very familiar with supply chain or logistics. Um, there's people, there's a lot of supply chain companies that hire people in adjacent industries because they have transferable skills. So a simple example of equity is working into your practices. If I'm having an interview or a conversation with a candidate around, um, the, the role and they don't have industry experience, maybe don't throw out a bunch of industry terms that they've never heard of because they're not in this club yet. So thinking about looking at their actual background and trying to apply terms that they can actually relate to and using that to translate and set them up for success, thinking about those things, we're gonna hire better quality people and we're able to really train them in our way, which is a huge asset to the business. So that's just one small of many, many examples. Um, Roberto, I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, look, and I think this goes to a point that Lisa had shared earlier. At some point, we share the benefits of diversity so much that it's assumed and yet progress is still stalled. Um, but nonetheless, it, it bears repeating, given that, again, this is not just the right thing to do. There is this business um, imperative for making sure that we are advancing this work. So whether it is you know, increased innovation and collaboration, increased employee engagement, reduced you know, employee turnover, increased revenue and profitability, um, strengthening brand value. I mean, again, the list just goes on and on. Um, but I think it's important to be able to continue in weaving this as part of the conversation so that you know people continue to understand why there is a business case for advancing this work. And when you know leaders forget why we are engaging in this work, it's because time and time again, studies have shown the real benefits of, of being able to do this work intentionally. And I will add, and another thing you just kind of sparked, you know, the young up and coming generation that is our workforce and is the future of work, this is what they care about. So sorry, but whether you like it or not, this is what they're looking for. We have, I'm a talent acquisition, so I'm thinking about our candidates. They're asking these questions 
Um, they're asking, what are you doing around diversity? People are attracted to our company, the best talent, because they see the numbers that we're putting out there and our transparency around our diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice efforts, right? So it's an attraction tool. And if you want to, you know, compete in this market for the best people that are going to drive your business forward, this is a non-starter. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that it also, it works in in two different ways, right? With, with the executives and those that are the decision makers up top, they really do need that data to be able to make those decisions and, and feel secure in the investments. But then, you know, when you talk about the employee workforce, you have to show, you can't just talk about it. And, and I, you know, I have to say in some of the interviews that I've been in, you know, people are looking at who is in the room with me, you know, what, what is your experience? Like, talk to me about ERGs, which, helps me pivot into where we're going now. So ERGs are employee resource groups. And, and Roberto, I know that we work refers to it as something different, uh, employee community groups. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So since the start of, or the inception rather of ERGs or ECGs, we've seen a lot of, of positive momentum, both professionally and per, and personally when it comes to growth, right? And I would love to know how either, how both of you think that ERGs, ECGs accelerate the success of those that actively participate in one of these groups or, or multiple. Yeah. Jenny, as, as you noted out, we, work, we refer to our ERGs as ECGs, employee community groups, because community is at our core. Um, you know, we currently have six ECGs at WeWork, uh, Women of WeWork, We of Color, Pride of WeWork, Parents at WeWork, Veterans at WeWork. And this year, we we also launched a disability-focused ECG, We're Able. Um, and so all six are global in nature. They're open to WeWork employees of all identities, including um, allies. And, and for us, you know, our ECGs are an excellent support system within WeWork to foster inclusion, awareness, and, and respect within the workplace. You know, importantly, they also support um, and advance business goals and objectives in partnership with, with the Office of Inclusion and also our Global Diversity Leadership Council, um, working with senior leaders across the company to ensure we're moving the needle forward. And notably, you know, we work being an ECG leader uh, is an official role. So employees are invited to apply annually for a 15 month leadership term. And those who are appointed commit a formal percentage of their working hours towards ECG business. Um, all this with the support of our company's leadership, which is just crucial to, to their success. Um, I'm happy to share that we've seen amazing professional and personal growth of the employees who lead our ECGs. You know, our ECG leaders are colleagues from around the world who've raised their hand to engage in this space um, and have put their energy and efforts towards making WeWork a more inclusive workplace for all. Um, you know, we support our ECG leaders by providing a fulsome onboarding um, for this role and an ongoing learning series throughout the term targeting frequently used skills. You know, as a result of their involvement with our ECGs, I've seen folks build, you know, new strengths and grow their capabilities exponentially. You know, they're demonstrating executive presence, they're participating in the budget forecasting process, they're working through the details of event planning and, and so much more. You know, additionally, ECGs are an amazing way for leaders and general participants to build their internal and external networks. Often people are able to find mentors and sponsors organically through these groups, which absolutely empowers personal and professional success. Um, you know, in short, I would just say that like our ECGs are not only core to our company as a business imperative, but also just a powerful force for development for those involved. 
That's so incredible. Lisa. Yeah. I mean, well, one thing to underscore is, you know, we work is, I don't know exactly how many employees you are, you know, in the thousands roughly, um, you know, a little bit more mature global transfix. We are about 350 employees. So we're smaller and our ERG. So we have, I'm very proud um, to have, I jumped in. I, I, later when these ERGs are already been established. Um, I think Jenny had a huge hand in this, but we have five ERGs. We have our AAPI, we have our For the Culture, our Pride ERG, our SOMOS, and our Women at ERG. Um, and it, I love the actually the term community because they very much are these sort of communities within Transfix. And I think everything you said is really some of it we're already there and some of it is where we're going. And these folks that have stepped up as the chairs and the committee members are driving that agenda forward and really determining what the meaning of DEIJ means at Transfix and being a part of that overall, I think is empowering for them and empowering for our leadership team to really get to hear all of those voices. Um, I think one specific, I think all of the above that you said, but one specific example I think of is really like becoming aware, organic mentorship is huge. And then it really comes down to safety. I think when, when these groups are able to meet together with folks that identify how they identify, they're able, they're in a, we are in a safe place where now if I want to say, well, we, I saw that role open up. That's like a higher level. Do you think I should apply? Who would I even talk to? They can, they feel safe asking those questions. And that's resulted in significantly more advancement of our, um, diverse employees, employees that are un generally underrepresented in other um, companies and frankly throughout our industry because they have that safe space to ask those questions and then branch out of the ERGs. Um, we also had done a study on our ERGs and we found that um, a vast percentage of our ERG members are members of multiple groups, which is awesome. And we're seeing a lot of like intersectionality across the ERGs group kind of um, efforts. Right now we're doing a charity drive um, and each ERG chose their own charity and the whole company is involved and you can donate to one of the five. So it's sort of a contest where everyone wins. Um, and it's very cool to see knowing that our ERGs, this came from them, this came from these groups, but it's something for everyone to feel good about participating in. So my gosh, I can go on and on, but um, just putting cherry on the cake, what is the expression? And I think that's right. Because I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> yeah. now, if I can just add, you know, I think to end this question the way that we started, you know, whether you're one of the 350 employees at Transfix or at one of the more than like 3000 employees at WeWork, ultimately it's just, in, it's incredibly important and empowering to feel a sense of community, to feel like you be belong. Um, and the fact that there are these safe spaces created for employees to feel um, included and empowered is just incredibly powerful for, for them. And the organization is able to, to benefit from that. But what I also will say for anyone listening, if you are thinking about forming ERGs or you have them, it's really critical that you're also making sure top down they're on board, including what Roberto said about they have a specific portion of their time that's dedicated to this. Because if it's an afterthought, it backfires very quickly. Um, and if anyone wants to chat with me about that, ping me. <laughs> 
Well, we have two excellent leaders here in this space. So absolutely. You know, I, I do want to talk about building that sense of, of safeness and community within the workplace, because I think since the onset of COVID-19, the dynamics of in-office in work culture has completely changed, whether we want to admit it or not. And not only did it change our physical environment, but our makeup as a culture shifted as well. And, you know, we had to figure out here at Transfix what that return to work plan was going to look like and make sure that it was both flexible and equitable. And I would say, I mean, I really do have to um, say that WeWork played such a huge role in that because we weren't able to come back to work if had it not been for, you know, our partnership being alive and well, and then being able to expand in Atlanta as a result of it. So, you know, I think that's worth noting here, but, you know, Elisa, I'd love to know as, as we're piggybacking off of this safeness and, and sense of community in, in the new office space, why do you think that was so important for Transfix? Yeah, I mean, it is complicated because we're, we're a tech company and we act and are and behave in every way like a high growth startup that's thinking progressively, but we also are, a freight company and so in supply chain. So there's an operational aspect to our business that has a lot of, you need to be in the office, not only to be successful, but to grow and learn in your own career. It's just having that, you know, osmosis of being in a space is really important. And so um, it's important, it was really important. It still is important. We're still navigating, honestly, each team and what makes the most sense, navigating the balance between equitable, people's lives have changed through COVID, everyone has different needs, and also the value of the office. And I think having, so why is it important? I mean, it's important because we wanna make sure that we're driving our business forward in the best way while being as flexible and equitable as we can. Um, and I think specifically having WeWork in a flexible space has enabled us to um, continue to keep a pulse on the business needs and a pulse on our employee population, while as we bring in new folks, setting clear expectations from the jump so that no one's surprised. Um, all of those things come into play and it's a living, breathing thing. We have not, this is, we don't have like, our policy may change. It's all going to be based on all of those different factors. And we have an amazing team that does a lot of great work to make that happen. Now, Roberto, I'd love to hear how WeWork works with businesses to ensure that there is a flexible working environment that meets the unique needs of diverse workforces. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we all know, the pandemic fundamentally changed the way that we work and the role of the office, whereas people before, you know, went into the office five days a week, you know, we're now seeing a broad embrace of hybrid work for those who are remote capable. You know, for WeWork, our flexibility and turnkey office solutions have helped companies of all sizes, um, including Transfix, you know, embrace hybrid work, which we know that the majority of offer office workers favor. So, you know, whether we're talking about non-binary workers, those with disabilities, LGBTQIA plus employees, employees of color, they have all across the board um, been shown to, to prefer hybrid work arrangements. And, and parents, of course, are no exception either. You know, the appeal of hybrid work is in its balance. So the flex, the, you have flexibility, which allows for more time with loved ones and reduce commutes and therefore reduce costs, um, while at the same time offering the ability to access physical workspace and collaborate in person with your colleagues. When offered and intentionally designed, hybrid work arrangements can be, can excuse me, can help be a powerful tool for hiring and retaining uh, you know, workforce, including um, 
those of, of traditionally marginalized identities. Now, when we think of WeWork, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of locations around the world. You know, our scale allows companies to provide a workspace for a workspace for employees in, in places where they would never consider opening their own traditional office and therefore empowers companies to be location agnostic and, and better attract employees of underrepresented identities across the globe. Yeah, I'd also say we'd like to we do have some employees that are remote first, but like having a WeWork space to go to because for on the flip side, maybe your home isn't conducive to being productive. So offering that for both our remote and non-remote employees is something that we're constantly thinking through. Um, it's a great point. Equitable opportunities. I mean, really, that's what it's about, right? Absolutely. I want to put both of you on the spot if you'll indulge me just a bit. But if you could pitch to executives in an elevator, right? It's, it's the 30 second pitch on why it's so important to operate a business with DEI at the forefront. How would it sound? And I, whoever wants to take that first, feel free. <laughs> Well, I like to do the honors. Of I feel like Roberto, like you're gonna have a ridiculously <laughs> amazing pitch. So I kind of want to hear yours first. I mean, mine is hopefully short, but effective. You know, I, I would just say, you know, the pandemic has fundamentally all altered the way in which people view work. It has also offered a unique opportunity for employers to attract and retain talent from uh, from underrepresented groups and to harness the significant benefits of an inclusive and diverse workforce, including increased innovation and employee engagement, reduced turnover, increased revenue, and strengthened brand value, to name just a few. Operating a business with DEI at the forefront is not a nice to have, it's a must have, plain and simple. I like it. I think that's a really good pitch. I Maybe just to give the flip side, I'll go like the, the negative route of like, if what I would say is if our employee population doesn't mirror our customer population, we will not be successful because we are not serving and representing our customers. And in order for our employee population to mirror the vast diverse range of our customer population, we need to bring in diverse talent and people from all walks of life and backgrounds, including traditionally marginalized people. And in order to do that, we need to have programs that make them feel safe wherever they are, or they're not gonna wanna work here. Um, and then we will not succeed. So maybe something to that end, but can I tweak it and come back for the next podcast? <laughs> I thought that was great. The elevator doors have opened, you've gotten your pitch, it's fine, everything's great. We're in. <laughs> I, mean, I would follow up and to, to, to Lisa, I'll follow up to Lisa's um, elevator pitch and just add, the importance of doing your homework and understanding the leader that you're speaking with so that you can tweak the elevator pitch as needed because ultimately you want your message to be effective and to land well. Yes, that is like what I mean, I work with HR professionals and I think that's one thing that we all need to continue to get better at, which is being able to speak to what's motivating that person. Very true. Could not agree more. I, I'm so excited about today's conversation. It's just the first of many as it relates to DEI. And I could not have started that off with two better people. Roberto, thank you so much for coming. And Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I We will hear from you both shortly. But other than that, I mean, you've heard it here. You've got the pitch. You should be investing in DEI. If you haven't started already, what are you doing? It's 2023. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Roberto. Thanks, Lisa. Bye.